Before we begin then, let us all take a moment to bring our palms together in veneration of the Supremely Enlightened One, the Perfect One, the Undefeated One, He whose compassion and loving kindness knows no bounds, He who is the epitome of wisdom and the fount of mercy to all sentient beings. It is because of Him today we experience the freedom, the bliss, the liberation that we do. It is He who we have to be grateful to. And as we do so, let us also remind ourselves that every morning as we come here and make another step forward on our journey, this is a journey with a clear destination, one that we all aspire to, and one we all resolve to complete in this very life itself. So with that in mind, this is our purpose, this is the reason we are here. Let us bring our hands together and pay homage to the Supreme Buddha. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Have you been practicing the spell that we learnt last week? This powerful spell to ward off all evil. To chase off the demon. It doesn't look like you've been practicing. You're all still here. No, you should be here. It's just the demon that should be cast off. <clears throat> the demon that brings you fear. What else does this demon bring you? Grief. Sorrow. Lamentation. Despair. Disappointment. Frustration. Anger. Greed, lust, envy, and the list keeps going on and on and on. It is the demon that brings you the fear of death. You know, death is only a fear of death. Because there is really no such thing called death. You become deathless not by exceeding death you become deathless by realizing that there is no such thing called death. I think I'm at liberty to speak to this audience some of the profound and deep, deeper meanings that the Dhamma entails. Because I am confident that you are regulars and that you keep yourself on the path in the Dhamma, that your liberation, your Nibbana is not something that just happens on a Saturday morning. 
Am I right? Or should I be punished for making such assumptions? When does Nibbana happen? Saturday morning. Hmm? What about the rest of the week? That is Bana. Gumbana. Saturday morning, Nibbana. No, it can't be so. Nibbana has to be a lifestyle. It has to be your life. In fact, people don't realize this, but that is all they seek in life. What they seek is bliss. They're just all going about it the wrong way. That's all. You know, it's not like we Buddhists someday realize, you know what, enough with this. Let's go find happiness. That's not how it happened. We are seeking the same thing that we sought even before we listen to the Dhamma. That is not new. Would you agree? As a lay person, as a Prutagjana, whatever context you might put yourself in, this is what we always sought. So this is not a difference in our aims, our goals. It's simply a difference in the path that we have chosen to get there. That's all this is. The Noble Eightfold Path is just the path that has changed. Previously, you wanted happiness, but the path you chose was not the Noble Eightfold Path. It was some other old path. The old beaten down path. Didn't work. So now we are here. This is a realization. This, with this realization you chase off the demon. And when that demon is gone, then there is no fear of death. There is no fear of old age. Because really there is no such thing called old age. Without the Dhamma, you, you might think that, so we are talking about the state of Nibbana when one is dead and gone, you know, when we disappear into the, into the earth, when, we, when, when our spirit is released and it goes away into the wherever. That's where it is deathless, you know, in some realm up there. It's always up there, isn't it? Never down there, it's always up there. <laughs> Wishful thinking, always up there. When we are someday up there, we will be deathless. Because in paradise, that is how we shall be. No old age, no sickness. Because, you know, when the prince went on his tour of the kingdom, he encountered these atrocities, these adversities that people have to endure. And then he sought answers to these problems. So, anyone, I mean, I think people should be forgiven for thinking that if the prince renounced his worldly life in search of answers to old age, disease and deathlessness, then surely the Nibbana that he has achieved must be the same. But you hit a stumbling block because at one point the Buddha said, I have attained Nibbana, I have become the Buddha and he dies. And he grows old. And he falls ill. So then one could wonder, what is this deathlessness that they have achieved? Because people always believe in, a, in an existence, in the persistence of an entity, 
Even the concept of deathlessness <laughs> is so funny. Even the concept of deathlessness people attribute to a being that exists somewhere. It is so ironical, so funny. Who is deathless? People have to ask this question and they need an answer. Who is deathless? I am deathless, he is deathless, she is deathless. So it is a being who has become deathless. To achieve immortality, you know, we mere mortals, we must achieve immortality. Who becomes free of illness? We become free of illness. Who is freed from old age and disease and decay? You need an answer to that question. So there's always a being. You know, people think they're talking about this person. People think that all philosophies in this world talk about this person. The being. And things that happen to this being. And how we can stop those things from happening to this being. So, every philosophy, let's say almost every, just to be on the safe side, every philosophy, every religion that is taught, talks about a being and how do you ensure that only good things come to the being and bad things can be kept away. So they all talk about a being. Buddhist philosophy is different. Buddhist philosophy is different. Religion, there are various incarnations of it, variants of it, various rituals and practices and so on. But Buddhist philosophy, as we understand it, I think I should include that caveat, as we understand it, Buddhist philosophy does not talk about a being. It talks about how you can stop sensing a being. So therefore, anything and everything that happens to it is not something that happens to the being. Suffering is created when the sense of a being appears in your mind. When you feel that the things around you happen to you, that's where the problem is. See, if someone looked at you and said, you're beautiful, you're pretty, that makes you happy, doesn't it? Does it not? Have you gone beyond that now? If someone admires your, your image, how you look, you know, and usually it makes, you, makes one happy, you know, you're fair, you're nice, you're, you're pretty, you're very beautiful. The moment you hear these words, and they make sense to you, because it is uttered in a language that you understand, you can't help but attributing what has just been said to you. See, they look at you, they look at your body, maybe your face, maybe the way you've dressed, and they say, you look pretty. But the mind captures 
this idea, this sentiment, what has just been said, this compliment, let's say, this compliment, and, and assumes that it has been said about it. So, the face, which, let's say, is pretty, makes no reaction. But the mind, which thinks that it is I who has been complimented, feels happy, feels elated. But when someone compliments you on your prettiness, have they seen your mind when they do that? I mean, let's just take, say, someone walking on the street. You've never spoken to the person, right? You look at them and go, she's pretty. He's handsome. Good-looking, right? You look at their image. You look at the, uh, some attribute of their body. And you say, nice, it's very nice. That compliment was given to, their, to the way they look. But the mind that rides this body sits inside and thinks that a compliment has been uttered and passed to me. Whereas the person who made that remark has never seen your mind, never made, had any interaction with your mind, never exchanged ideas, but the mind thinks that it has been said about itself. And you feel happy then, don't you? This is wrong. If you feel happy when someone says, you look nice today, then something's wrong with you. If I look at someone and say, Madam, nice hair. Oh, thank you. Nice shirt, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, see, I'm, I'm, I'm complimenting the shirt. It's not even the body. Nice frock. And the mind still feels happy. How is that possible? If there is a mind and if there is a body, how come the mind takes the compliment that has just been said about the body? What right does the mind have to do that? Who gave you the right to take other people's compliments? And the same goes for insult. Praise and insult. When someone says, you're fat, look at you, look at you, just, you're fat. Who feels offended? The mind feels offended. It's not the body that cries. I mean, I've seen, you know, in school days, right, sometimes these were things that were said to bully. That usually there was always one who was the laughing stock. Sometimes he was the Sometimes he was the fat one in class. Sometimes he was the squint-eyed. Sometimes he was the short one in class. Sometimes he was the tall one in class. Sometimes he was the limp one in class. Sometimes he was the one who had a shorter right arm to the left arm. See, it was so easy to offend them. You just look at an attribute of their body and find some name that sounds insulting and then say it, and the mind thinks that it is being said about them. Now, if you remember, those of you who wear spectacles, the first time you wore them, or the first time you realized you had to wear them, now it depends on how mature you were when this happened in your life. If you were very young, right, sometimes perhaps you didn't like it. 
You didn't like wearing glasses. Because you felt that this was somehow a weakness. About whom? About you. You felt that this was somehow a weakness about you. A handicap, if you like. So you thought, what will my friends think now? They might start calling me names. Hmm? Double-eyed. Double-O-7. You took offense to it. Because you felt that there was a weakness about you that people were mocking. A lot of young people these days, you know, they put themselves through lots of alterations to their bodies because they feel that they are not complete. They feel something lacking in them because they don't like the way they look. Influenced by media, influenced by their friends, or at least so-called friends, influenced by society, by what you know the, the, the popular voice, what people have to say. People feel offended. They feel offended because they feel that compliment or that insult is being said about them. Because of the being. See, when, when you sense that there is a being, this body becomes yours. And it's not just the body. It's everything about the body as well as others. You, your spouse, and your three children. It's so easy to offend you now. If you were like this, that's so. Defo. Ah no, defo is somewhere here. They have a hearing aid. This is blind though. Huh? Perhaps if you had, uh, if you didn't have all your teeth, then when you smiled, it just like looks like you've never not been to the dentist for several years. You know, there, there are names for all these, right? You remember from school days at least. You know, there were names for all these things. If you don't have any hair, the, the Sinhalese names are much better. Than if you were missing a, a digit. In your hand, right? Maybe you didn't have one of these fingers. There was a name for that. Or maybe if you had an extra finger, there was a name for that. 
If you had a limp, there was a name for that. Maybe if you had, uh, if you had a short neck or a double chin, there was a name for that. There was always a name. And then when they get offended, actually, they're not the ones who get offended. Things are said about them, again, you are offended. Because you have the being, the demon. The demon that lives within you captures all sorts of insults that are passed. You know, you know the saying, right? Uh, what is it? The singular saying is, so basically what they're saying is, in the, the, the English translation of that would be, there's a man who has hats, right? and these hats represent insults. Right? So you throw the hat, and if it's the right fit, then wear it. So what that implies is, it's not I who has cast the insult, it is you because you feel the hat fits. You take the insult and you make it yours. The same goes here. You know, when, when insults, actually an insult is not an insult unless, unless you perceive it so. If someone said, you dog, you feel offended. But what if there was a dog just behind you and you didn't see it? And, the, and that was said about the actual dog, but you thought that it was said about you. Now you feel offended. How dare you call me a dog? No, I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to the dog. But you feel offended. Because this self, this being that exists within you is always, you know, it feels always threatened, always under attack. You always feel under attack. That's why when you're out and about, you know, you're always, it's like you're a scanner, always looking for insults, looking for, looking for offense. If someone bumps into you, you're offended, you're insulted, you're hurt. If someone said something, you know, something like, you know, you dog, you look around, are you talking to me? Talking to me? You donkey, right? You look around, are you talking to me? Have you not heard people say that? Hey, you, you talking to me? No, I was talking to the donkey. Why are you answering? <laughs> you buffalo. What, you talking to me? People say. <laughs> Why would you think that I'm talking to you? You know, as if you're, an, you're a magnet for insults. You, you want that insult to be about you. Almost. You, you almost want that insult to be about you. That is because this being that lives inside always feels threatened, under threat. See, that is what the demon does to you. Just, you know, take pity on yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Just take pity on yourselves. If you are someone who is not working to chase off this demon, then have absolute pity on yourself. Because this demon does all sorts of demonic things to you. Makes you feel that you're aging. Makes you feel that you're old. Makes you feel that you're ill and you're weak. Makes you feel that you're short. Are you short? Give me a virtual raise of hands if you think you're short. You know, inside your mind, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hand going up. Yes, I'm short. 
Because you feel that way. If you think you're too tall, you shouldn't have been this tall, you're too tall. You know, people say things like, are you, are you a coconut plucker or something? Why are you so tall? Is it cold up there? <clears throat> What's the weather like up there? And sometimes, you know, that can be part of your pride as well. It all depends on the context, it all depends on the culture, the environment, right? In some, in some countries, you know, it's, uh, it's quite, quite a thing to be, to be tall. In some places, being fat is considered, uh, it's an honor. It's an honor. The sign of prosperity, they say. Or at least that's what the fat people say. It's a sign of prosperity. But, you know, there are places where it is so. Imagine living in a country where there's hardly anything to eat. It's very difficult to get by, or in a country or some place maybe, right? And everyone there, you know, they 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 struggle to make ends meet. But there's one family, you know, and they, you know, you look at them and you, you know, it's quite obvious that there's always three square meals on their plate every every day. So they feel honored. Right? Look, we live a good life. Why do you identify with your body as being you? And above all, all that, you also feel that you are a male, you are a female. You feel that, don't you? You're a male, you're a female. That's why if I ask you to hold someone's hand, just imagine I ask you to do that. All of you, I said, hold someone's hand. Now you look around you. If you had to hold someone's hand, whose hand would you hold? A male's or... Does it not matter? If you had to hold someone's hand, right? I said, I, I said, right, audience, please hold someone's hand, quick, right? You'd look around to see, if you are a male, you'd look for another male, if you had to do it. If you are a female, you'd look for another female, if you had to do it. I'm not talking about the social norms and customs and all that. I'm talking about something beyond that. I'm talking about how you identify yourself. This demon that lives within you keeps reminding you that you are a male, you are a female, you are tall, you are short, you are fat, you are thin, you are ugly, you are pretty, that you got long hair, you got short hair. Sometimes it will tell you that you are of a lower caste. See what it does to you? You are low caste. Or you are high caste. This is the demon within you. So for as long as this demon lives within you, you are not free. This demon has enslaved you. What is the demon I speak of? Jati. Yes. In every thought that occurs in your mind, or in every thought that occurs, the demon is born. And this demon wreaks havoc. This demon has enslaved you. That is why we call it the freedom of Nibbana. You are freed from your own demon. Now imagine life without that demon. 
Just, just for a moment, imagine what being an arahant must be like. You don't identify yourself as a man. You don't identify yourself as a woman. So therefore, you don't identify yourself with any of the insults that come your way. You don't feel pride about anything. You don't feel insulted about anything. You don't feel offended. You don't fear death because death is no longer something that affects you. Death is not what happens to you after you are 85. That is not death. If that is death, then death is happening to you right now as well. Old age is not something that happens to you after you have gone past your prime. That is not what old age is. Old age is a sentiment. It's an emotional connection between the demon or what the demon does to you. The mind begins to experience, begins to perceive old age and disease and decay. Now, yes, of course, there is, such, there is a disease called uh, give me a name of a disease. Hmm? Uh, pneumonia. Yes, there is a disease called pneumonia. But that is a disease of the body. Why does the mind suffer because of that? Because of the demon. That demon is a bridge. That bridge which connects things that happen through this body and things that happen around you to the mind. And makes the mind feel that all things that are going on are things that are happening to you. And they are about you. To you and about you. So what we are doing here is to try and chase off that demon. This is why I call this a spell. If you can not just chant this spell, but actually if you can internalize this spell, now you are free from the demon. That takes time, but it is something that we have to do. We do it because that is all we've ever wanted, freedom. We've always wanted to be, be free and be happy and attain bliss, liberation. That is what we always wanted. That is not just something that happened after we started listening to the Dhamma. Now we just take a different path. We take a different route, but the same destination that we want. The same things we wanted then, we want now, and that is happiness. There's no, there's no change there. There's no difference there. So last week we talked about this spell, and I'll put it up on the board again. Rupam bhikkhave anicca, yadanicchan tandukkang, yandukkang tadanatta, netangmang, neto hamasmi, all this is, is a description of all things. If you asked for one line that speaks or represents all things in this world, you could get by with this. This is fairly descriptive and fairly representative of all things in this world. Because really in this world... There doesn't exist things. It is not things that exist in this world. It is a nature that exists in this world. And by nature, I don't mean, you know, the, 
the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the, the trees and the birds and the bees. That is not what I mean by nature, because they're things again, aren't they? The birds, they're things. The trees, they're things. You know, living things and non-living things. That is what we learned for science at school. The, living, the first lesson in science, what were they? Living things, non-living things. Again, we talked about things. I'm talking about a nature, not the nature. I'm talking about a nature. The nature of things. Oh, <laughs> here we go again. I'm just talking about the nature. Don't you ask about what? It's not the nature of anything, it's just the nature. You know, it's like, remember we played with Scrabble the other day? Like when you looked at the Scrabble letters, those letters themselves, they don't belong to any specific words, do they? But we use them to make words. So once you've made a word, you can't say that that letter now belongs to that word. Because it only temporarily, you can't say it actually belongs, but you know, just so that we feel we can say something, let's say it only temporarily belongs to, belongs to the word. Because the moment it goes back into the bag, now it comes out and it becomes part of another word. Or, as soon as someone puts another letter at the end of it, now it becomes part of another word. Because you can completely and entirely change a word just by adding another letter. Do you remember how un became onion? Or rather, on became onion? So the O belonged to what? On or onion? You can't say that. Because there is no sense of belonging, there is no sense of ownership except for the sense that we perceive in our mind. So there is nothing in this world that belongs to anything, ladies and gentlemen. This is what I want you to understand. Nothing belongs to anything. But even in that very sentence, I have to use the word thing twice. As I say, nothing belongs to anything. Because we, we deal with the world with things. In our world, in our understanding of the world, in our understanding of science and physics and biology and chemistry, we're always talking about things and how things work with each other, how things interact with each other. We can't imagine a world where there are no things, can we? Because we perceive the world that way. We perceive the world as being objects. There are objects in this world and the study of science is how things work, how objects work, how they interact with each other. This is the thinking that I need you to try and get over. There is no such thing in this world. All there are are manifestations. It's a manifestation. Not a manifestation of something. It's just a manifestation. We perceive manifestations. And these manifestations we give names to. See? This, this, these three, these five letters. These five letters, five under. Yes. These five letters manifest this. N is not part of onion. If N were part of onion, I couldn't use this N to make anything else. Now, uh, now here's the thing. I'm not talking about the name here. I'm using the Scrabble example. This is an, this is an analogy. Okay? So, th I'm not talking about the name onion. I'm talking about an analogy. Because Scrabble, those, those tiles, they serve that purpose quite nicely. Because you're familiar with how it works. You know, we join letters to form words. 
Okay? In the same way, this universe is constructed by, sorry, I have to say the word, things who combine and they, they combine in a certain configuration to give the appearance of things. That is how it works. It's an arrangement. It's an assortment. They give you that appearance. That is why it's called a manifestation. It's not a fixed object. It's not an entity. This N was never, will never be, and is not a member of this word. It's not fixed. It is not by virtue a member of this word, although right now it's standing here. You could move it away at any point, and it's not going to say, please put me back, because I'm part of that onion. They're all self-standing, self-sufficient. None of these letters feel that they are part of this onion, but you perceive an onion. You perceive this word. But remember, I'm not talking about the word here. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the name onion. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I want you to think of this as an analogy. If this is how these letters combine to form words, in the same way, what we see around us are simply manifestations of, well, let's just say, the pure octet, or say, right? those things, things, I'm, I'm sorry, those things, they come together to give you that manifestation. Those things itself, the, 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 the elements themselves are manifestations, because what is an N if not that? What is that? What is this, this line, if not that? What is this dot, if not? This is that. This is that. And one of these is that. So if you keep on magnifying, you realize that nothing is a unit. Well, can't you keep magnifying one of these? You can just keep on going and you'll never end. Because nothing is an entity. Nothing is a fixed entity. They're just, you know, they're just randomly standing there. Standing is not the right word, but, you know, they're just randomly there. Is it random? No, that's why we have cause and effect. It's not random. Nothing is random. Causes and effects is all that exists. That is what is meant by Yadanicca. Anicca is the nature. Not the nature. I'm talking about a quality. That the quality of anicca is all there is. Just take a moment to think about you. If the quality of anicca didn't exist, you wouldn't exist. Everything you see around you, the whole world, the whole universe, the whole cosmos, you know, anicca is the nature. Their nature. That's all there is. The quality of anicca is all there exists. Not the anicca of something. Because the moment you talk about the anicca of this pen, for instance, now again, you've, you, know, you can't talk about anicca and then talk about a thing. They are exclusive. But we speak of things, clearly. 
just as I do. We speak of things. Now when you have your discussions, maybe in the afternoon, you can speak of things. It's not the spoken word that is the problem. It's your perception of it that is the problem. So you can speak of a pen. The problem is when you perceive a pen. Because when you perceive a pen, what happens is dukkha. When you perceive a pen, what happens is dukkha. Why? Now things will happen to this pen. This pen will decay. This pen will break. Because then you will talk about a broken pen. This pen will age. An old pen. See? Now you are talking about things that happen to this pen. But if all there is, is a manifestation, then at every point all there is, is a manifestation. So then you can't say that this is now an old pen. Or this is a new pen. Right? At two years you get this. Now this is an old pen. This is not an old pen. Because when you say this is an old pen, you're talking about something has happened over the last two years to, to the pen I bought two years ago and now this is, this is the result. See, now you're talking on the dimension of time again. Whenever you fix something, you're back on the time train. We need to get off the time train. You know, when you say, what is Nibbana? Or you want to describe Nibbana and you say Nibbana, again, that's not Nibbana. It's, it's not a, it's not something, you know, it's, a, it's, it's the most difficult concept to get across. But that is not to say that it's very difficult to attain. So that shouldn't put you off. But it's a realization nonetheless. When we talk about external entities or internal entities for that matter, you know, even when we talk about the mind, let's say we stop talking about physical things and we start talking about the mind, if you take the mind as an entity, again, you know, that is again taking a step away from Nibbana. Because wherever you perceive an entity, that in itself, in that moment, you have distanced yourself from this, Yadanicca. And you have entered the realm of Dukkha. What is Dukkha? Dukkha is not suffering. Not that suffering. What do, I, what do I mean by that suffering? The suffering that we've always experienced. Because, you know, now and, now, every now and then we get questions from uh, listeners and, and, and they ask us, well, if all there is is Dukkha, then what's the point? Because he said all the Buddha talk about. If it's just, let's, why don't we focus on something more positive? That is because they think that Dukkha is the suffering that we have always come to know. Not that suffering. This Dukkha, when you realize this, you are elated. It's not a suffering that, it's not the conventional suffering that makes you feel sad and depressed and down. This, this understanding of suffering, you know, takes you over the moon. It makes you happy. In fact, it brings happiness to you. So it's not the same suffering that we've always come to learn. It's not the suffering of losing your loved one. It's not that suffering. It's not the suffering of having to be with someone you don't like. It's not that suffering. Those are the eleven great fires. It's not the suffering of when you have to do something you don't like. It's not that suffering. Or when you have to give up something you, you really like. It's not that suffering. So this dukkha is not that. 
This dukkha is a dukkha that one has to see through wisdom. See, if understanding of the truth or understanding of the Dhamma is suffering in that sense, then how should we all be as monks? Because all we think about all day long is dukkha. Right? And if dukkha was so painful and so 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 hurtful yeah, all day long, you know, we should be depressed. You know, we should be hanging from the rubber trees. <laughs> How many suicide cases have you heard of from this monastery? Because it is not that dukkha. In fact, we can help someone who wishes to part with his or her life, who wishes to be off to to off with their life. By explaining that the dukkha is not the dukkha that you think it is. So the gentleman asks the question, you know, we talk about external entities. Does that distance us from Nibbana? Whenever you talk about an entity, you are distancing yourself from Nibbana. But the thing is, it's not the talking about it. It's the perceiving of it. Because as we live in this world, how else are we supposed to talk? Otherwise, we should all be quiet. And not utter a single word because not even the word Nibbana represents Nibbana. Because these words are words that have been invented to talk about things. Now Nibbana has also become a thing. Again, not in that sense. You know, like a thing has become a thing. <laughs> you know, it's become a fad. Right? Not in that way. I mean, I'd like for it to be a thing. Right? What, is, you know, what people talk about, what people do these days. I don't mean it in that sense. That's why I say, you know, in a, that this is why I, I believe that in a lay life, it's, it's so difficult to really attain to this realization. Because out there, who prompts you to perceive something beyond what the eye sees? Who prompts you to do that? See, when, when, you, when you walk along the road, on the street, right, and you see the things be, uh, in and around you, right, people, people admire them, people talk about them. People talk about other people. People talk about other things. They talk about cats and dogs and cows and sheep and so on. They talk about the shops. They talk about the suns and the moons and the stars and the planets and all of these things. They take you on a trip to see things. This is the problem. Right? They have a party to eat things. Friends come around. So you can, you can be with things. You do. You watch TV. So you watch things. You listen to things. It's all about things. The problem is not what the eye sees. It's not what the, 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 the ear hears. It's not what the tongue tastes. It's all about the way you perceive it. But who prompts you to perceive something beyond what the eye sees? Who prompts you to, who prompts you to think about the... Who prompts you to think that seeing is a process and what you are seeing is not a thing? It's not a thing. What do I mean by a thing? A fixed entity. Who promised you to do that? No one does. Because in that world, you know, it's like, it's like once you go into dream world. Is there anyone in your dream world who reminds you you are seeing a dream? Hmm? No. When you fall asleep and you are in your dream world, are there you know, people that you see in your dream world? In your dreams, people you see, do they remind you, hey, you're dreaming? Do they remind you that? No. In the same way, out there, no one reminds you 
that the, that the world you are in is not the real world. They don't tell you this because they don't know it. So therefore, you experience things and you're comfortable with that. So then what you do is, you, you, now when you have things, you have things you like and you have things you don't like. Right? Whenever there is a thing, there are things you like and there are things you don't like. When there are people, hmm, there are people you like and there are people you don't like. So then the quest of life becomes being with the people and the things that you like and distancing yourself from the people and the things you dislike. Isn't that life summed up? So I agree with the gentleman's sentiments. Whenever we talk about external things, and that by external it doesn't have to be outside of my body. Even if you spoke of the mind, you know, even if you spoke of Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankhar and Vinyana, and you still thought that they were things, you're not speaking Nibbana. You're not speaking the language of Nibbana. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana are not things. They are not entities. Avidya Samudaya, Rupa Samudaya. Tanha Samudaya, Rupa Samudaya. Kama Samudaya, Rupa Samudaya. That was the other one. Ahara Samudaya, Rupa Samudaya. And Nibbatilakana, Rupa Samudaya. See? The Buddha says that Rupa is not a thing. He shows that Rupa itself the five aggregates we speak of, Rupa itself is a manifestation. So if Rupa itself is a manifestation, then Rupam Bhikkave Anicca. Rupa itself is a manifestation. If Rupa itself is a manifestation, then how come you can sense a fixed entity as Rupa enters the mind? There's the ear, or the, let's take the eye. I means a sight, and then you have Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, and Vinyana. When we explain this concept to you, when you learn this concept, I want you, I don't want you to think that what has, what the eye has just seen, is a fixed Rupa. It's not an object. It's not a thing. What has happened is a manifestation. It's always a manifestation. The eye is a manifestation. This object out here, it's a manifestation. So therefore the Rupa itself is a manifestation. It's like it's all being stood up. Like, you know, uh, imagine there were two cards that were placed against each other, like a tent. Right? Now you see a tent. But there is no tent here, is there? There is no tent here. These two cards, they support each other. Right? So there are forces acting on this. There is one going this way and there is another going this way. Right? These two cards, they are acting against each other and now you perceive a tent. But there is no such thing called a tent. This is a manifestation. The, 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 this is the resultant of the forces that are acting on it all the while, there is no fixed tent here. In the same way, Rupa is not a thing. Vedana is not a thing. And neither is Sanya. Because it's all Anicca. Rupam Bhikkave Anicca. So, how, now how do you apply this in your life? Right? That is what we are here for. You know, go back to this beetle leaf. I'm glad you bring one every, <laughs> every week you come to the sermon. 
Right, take this beetle leaf. You can substitute this with anything in your mind. Again, I say anything because right now you see a thing. If you were to zoom into this, right, just keep keep zooming in, right, take a really powerful microscope. Okay? At some point you're going to start to see you'll see the cells. Right? That make up this leaf. Okay? And if you keep going further, now you'll start to see the organelles, that part that make the that make the leaf the leaf cells. Right? You'll start to see the things you learned in biology. You can keep going further, and you'll start to see the the uh, the molecules, the molecular structures. Maybe you can keep going further. You'll find the atoms, and then keep going further. You'll find the electrons, and so on. You can keep going on and on and on and on. You can keep going on. So, what does that tell you about this leaf? All this is is a manifestation. Scientists are always looking for the indivisible particle. They're looking for where do we, where can we stop? And that's why when they found the atom, they were, you know, they were so happy. Ah, right, we found, <clears throat> we found the element, the most basic element that makes up all matter. They were quite pleased with themselves to have found that. But very soon they realized, no, the atom itself is made up of other things. So now the quest has become, well, what is it that is the indivisible particle? Why are they always looking for the indivisible particle? So that they can find something that makes up everything. They are looking for the thing that makes up everything. Now, even when you speak of, you don't have to go this far, even when you speak of atoms or the, or the cells that make up this leaf, right? you think it's the cell that makes the leaf. Because you perceive the cell as an object, as an entity. I'm talking about a perception. Under the microscope, of course you're going to see a cell. And to the naked eye, of course you're going to see a leaf. And we call this a leaf. But all this is is a manifestation. How so? You know, this leaf is only here because all of the causes are acting together right now. You can't say it's acting on the leaf. There's no leaf to act on. It's the causes acting together. They have combined in a certain configuration. Is that the right configuration? Who's to say that? You know, is it right to, right to have my nose here on the back of my head? Which one's the right one? <clears throat> Which one's right? There is no such thing. That's just one configuration. It's just one arrangement. Is there a right arrangement for these flowers? No. So in this world, there's no right or wrong. I know I regret having said that. You need to take this sensibly. There is right and wrong, but there isn't. <laughs> so don't do anything wrong. Only do the right thing. But there is no right and wrong. In a two-dimensional world, there is right and wrong. In a conventional world, there is right and wrong. There are the things that we, have, we must do and there are the things that we mustn't do. But in a dimensionless world, in a dimensionless world, there is no right and wrong. There's just interaction. Cause and effect, absolutely. There's just cause and effect. There are just manifestations and none of those manifestations are right 
None of them are wrong. It's, it's just there. So the problem then is not that arrangement. Is it, is it okay for the leaf to be like this? Or is it okay for the leaf to be like this? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? That's not the problem. The problem is here. It's in the mind. Of course it is in the mind. But what is the problem in the mind? When you see this leaf like this, you think it's okay now. When you see the leaf like this, you think there's a problem now. Because you think this is how it's supposed to be, not like this. That's where the problem is. You haven't accepted in your mind that all there is are manifestations. Because if you accept that, now any manifestation is a manifestation. But when you don't see a manifestation, you see a fixed arrangement. You see a fixed configuration and now you like it or you dislike it. Because you think this is a leaf. And a leaf, this is how a leaf is supposed to be. If you see a leaf, then you will tell me that this is how it's supposed to be. Sorry, I don't mean to say leaf. I mean if you perceive a leaf. Not if you see a leaf, but if you perceive a leaf. If you perceive a leaf, now you'll say this is the structure it's supposed to be. See, now I can hurt you just by doing that. I can hurt you by doing that. Why? <laughs> that is the demon that lives within you. This is your, that's the demon, then this is the demon's abode. See, I have just destroyed your abode. I'm not the one who's doing that. It's the demon that lives within you. That's causing you this suffering. So what must you do to chase this demon? Here's the spell. Rupam bhikkave anicca. Bhikkave. I speak to you monks. This is just a manifestation. Understand that. Rupa is a manifestation. This is Rupa. Yes. It's just a manifestation. You know, all of this, right? Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana. I'm, I'm taking one and I, you can then apply this concept to, to all, all of the aggregates. See, the, the very fact that it's called an aggregate. What is an aggregate? What's an aggregation? It's a bringing together of things. Right? It's, it's when things are together, we call it an aggregation. So you, you give, you know, when you say the total of something, you can say the aggregate. Yeah? So, these are called the aggregates or the skanda because they, they come together to give you the impression or they, this is the formation. Yeah? They, they come together to give you the impression of, a, of an entity. It's only that. It just gives you the impression of it. But it's not that. It's not by in itself a fixed entity. So what you see here, or what you perceive here as a leaf, doesn't really exist here. But that's not to say there's nothing here. So you can't, you know, for instance, take this away from me and say, I've taken nothing because there was nothing there. No, that's wrong. There is. But it's just a manifestation. This is, these are the aggregates in a certain formation. These are the aggregates in a certain arrangement. Now, in the two-dimensional world that we live in, in this conventional world that we live in, we give them names. And because people perceive, human beings, you know, we animals, we perceive entities, we deal with entities. 
Right? So, you know, how were the laws made? If you take the, the law book, right? The rules and the statutes and the legislature, you know, they're all talking about things. You know, this person's land should be separate from that person's land. Right? The, the, the constitution of this country will speak about things. How people should be elected to office. They, they're talking about people. How they should be elected to office. They'll talk about how the, the provinces should be, should operate. How the district should operate. Right? How the grammar savior should operate. And so on. They'll talk about the laws. They'll talk about prisons. They'll talk about the bank system. They'll talk about, you know, because we live in this world where people are all ignorant. What do we do? In an, in, in the, in the mental asylum, right? In the mental hospital, the, host, the, 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 the toilet is named the kitchen. It's got to be. Because there's a, there's a patient in there who thinks that when they want to go, when they actually want the toilet, they think that it, hap- it is to be done in the kitchen. So they go looking for the board that says kitchen, and then they go and do it. So where should they put the label kitchen? Where you and I understand is the toilet, they have to have the label kitchen. That's why they call it the mental asylum. So in this world that we live in, right? in this world that we live in, everyone's mad. Right? More or less, everyone's mad. So in a mad world, laws have to represent that. Madness. Laws have to, re- laws have to be made so that mad people can live together in harmony. So that we all, 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 all we crazy people can live together in harmony. So that we can say, you know, this is your wife, this is my wife. This is your house, this is my house. Don't step into my house without my permission. See? What madness? Where is my house? I mean, put my house to a side. Where is the house? All there is, all there is, is a manifestation. Even if the house exists, where is the my part coming in? It's just what the mind perceives. But the laws will, be, will have been stipulated with regulations and rules of conduct that talks about how you deal with your property and how you deal with other people's property. Property law. Conveyancing. Hmm? How do you deal with things like that? Labor laws. Hmm? So, uh, your, your staff, your, your, the, the, the laborers, they have to be treated fairly. What is fairly? They have to be given a fair wage. What's a fair wage? Who should be given a fair wage? Huh? Blacks and whites, they should be treated equally. Who's a black and who's a white? You're talking, what they're really referring to are people or minds who identify themselves as blacks. And a mind who identifies themselves as whites. Is a mind black or white? Is a, is a mind black or white? A mind is neither. But out there, minds believe that I am black and I am white. See, now you have, now people fight for equal rights. You know, equal rights for the disabled. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen a broken leg fight for its rights? No. It's not the leg that fights for it. It's the mind that thinks it's my leg that speaks on behalf of the leg. And say, if I'm on a wheelchair, 
I should have wheelchair access. These are my rights. I don't know whether this, this sermon can go online. I'm just speaking my mind out. Not meaning to offend or insult anyone. I'm just saying, you know, we live in a crazy world. This is a make-believe world in which we live and people suffer because of that. That is why, you know, if 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 you're if you're on a wheelchair, you know, let's just say one day you are you find yourselves on a wheelchair, right? And everyone goes to this place, you know, maybe the temple, maybe the maybe a party, and there's no there's no ramp. You might feel offended. Why didn't they think of me? Who didn't they think of? Me. Where's that me coming from? How did that me come in? You know, a chitta isn't born for you to experience a me. A chitta is simply born for you to perceive a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste or a touch or a thought. That's all. That's what a chitta is born for. But as soon as a chitta is born, the demon comes in. Because whenever ignorance and attachment is there, that is the demon's vimana or the abode. Wherever ignorance and attachment is there, the demon comes. And when the demon comes, now it is the demon's vimana. That is the demon's abode. Right? When the demon's there, now it's his he calls the shots. His rules. But when he when he's furious, you experience that fury. That's because your chitta has become the abode for the demon. When the demon is furious, you experience the heat of that. You experience that torment. And then you start sweating and you start getting agitated and annoyed and angry. You know, that is the demon doing it to you. And sometimes, you know, when, you, when you're in a fury of angry, you might go and hit someone and then they'll hit you back. Now you have to suffer. See, it's always, you know, your body forever, all, for all the time it has had to experience and endure, you know, the pain of physical violence. Where it was, uh, where it was returned, when you exerted the same on somebody else, do understand, ladies and gentlemen, that this is the body suffering because of the mind's shortcomings. Do understand that. It is undue, unnecessary, pointless, useless, meaningless. Just think about, you know, most of the time, when you, when you, if you've ever gone into a fight, if you've gone into an argument, right, a brawl of some sort, right, Especially if it has led to physical violence. You know, I don't mean like violence with weapons. I mean, you know, even if it was just a fight. Maybe school days. Right? If you've ever been in a fight. right? Chances are it was because this demon that lives, that you created the abode for. Because as soon as you create the abode, they'll come. You know, like when we do a pirit ceremony, that right, we light up the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the oil lamps. Right? And we say this is for the Satravarandivaru uh, and so on. Right? So the four protector gods. Right? And we do and this is for the Sakradeva. Right? So we light lamps and we believe that when you light the lamp and you make the invitation, they come. Right? Whether that is true or not, that's besides the point. The point is, when you create the, the abode, the demon comes. So in your mind, when the, when the abode is created, and that abode is ignorance and attachment, for as long as ignorance is there and attachment is there, it attracts the demon. And when the demon is there, now 
you are the child of the demon. That is what happens. Now the demon beats the drum and you do the dancing. Haven't you seen yourself dancing when the demon beats the drums? Hmm? If you've not seen it, ask your family. They'll tell you. They say, right? Yakhanatana. So this is right? don't 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 rouse the demon within me. Yeah, because as soon as the, the abode is created, the demon comes. That demon is the jati. But in every chitta, you make an invitation to the demon. We need to free ourselves from that. You are not I know you are not impressed by the way you behave when the when the demon place its tricks on you. I know you're not impressed by that. That is why you're here. You don't want that, do you? That's why you're here. You want to be exercised. Not exercised, exorcised. That's why you're here. That's why you want the spell. Now, I can't chase the demon off for you. All I can teach you is how you, not, how you don't create the abode. How do you not create the abode? Make the vimana and the demon will come. I'm afraid. Sorry to say that. So the only thing I can teach you and help you do is, here's what, how you not make that abode for the demon. If you stop creating that abode, now the demon will not come. For as long as ignorance is there, that is an invitation to the demon. So in the world out there, right, that is why you see a world of demons. Demons and angels. <laughs> That's what you have in this world. The demons are those with the jati and the angels are those without. Who are those? The saints, the arahants. They're the, they're the angels. So this, the, in the world that we live in, that this world is not created for the angels, it's created for the demons. Or everything, every, every construct, every, every law, Right, every regulation, every rule, all the, all the, all the principles and the and you know and the systems—they're all created for the demons. What is money there for? The demons. The banks for the demons. I'm not saying that people who work in banks are demons. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, I used to work in a bank. All right, so I'm not offending any bankers. That's not what I'm saying. All the systems out there, they're for the demons. What demon? The jati demon. Knowledge is what demons need to, to survive, right? But once wisdom, you know, when you, what is wisdom if not the eradication of ignorance? Yeah, whenever there is no ignorance, there is wisdom. Because wisdom is essentially seeing things as they are. If you had colored glasses on, all you have to do is take them off to see the world as it is. You don't have to do anything anything over and above that. If I wore colored glasses, taking them off and just looking at the world out there with my bare eyes is enough to see the world as it is. This is exactly what's going on with you. That's why I say Nibbana is not something that you need to go looking for. You just need to stop looking for happiness and it's there. Take off these glasses. Take off your colored glasses and you will see the world as it is. 
Take out ignorance and wisdom is what is there. Wisdom is nothing it's not a something it's not something special. It's not something something angelic. You know, it's just it's just there. Wisdom is always there. Ignorance is what suppresses it. Once you come to once you come to wisdom, or once the ignorance of Rupa has been removed from the mind, right, now what you have is wisdom. In other words, you see, or you perceive rather, that this is not a fixed leaf. You see, if it were a fixed leaf, how could I do that? I wouldn't be able to do it. Because, you know, where's the leaf once I tore this into two? What happened to the, to the, to the leaf that was one? Where did it go? Is it hiding somewhere? Where did it go? Did it just disappear? No. So then it wasn't a leaf in the first place, was it? There wasn't a, a full leaf in the first place. If there was, then you have to answer the question, where did it go the moment I tore this? Where is it now? So, the fact that I can tear this, and now I have two halves, ah, we stop there. Is this a half? Or is this a half? Do I have in my hand two halves? But you perceive it, so don't you? See? That is because you see a fixed leaf. You see an entity. Not see. I keep saying see, it's the wrong word to be using. You perceive a leaf. And therefore now you say, I tore it, and now there are two halves. <laughs> There are two halves because that was a whole. And that is half. Now I can tear it again and you will tell me this is one quarter of a leaf. If I never showed you the leaf in the first place and all I showed you was that. Now, of course, you know through knowledge that you know these edges, they are not smooth. Right? These rough edges, these rugged edges surely must mean that this has come from something else. Right? But let's just say that you had no knowledge of that and this was nicely smooth. Could I not make a leaf out of this and fool you that this was a whole leaf? Right? If I, if I, if I, you know, say, say, tore this part off, right? And I know this is a useless attempt, but I'll try nonetheless. Right? Let's say I, I, I held this up in my hand. I said, this is a leaf. This is a full leaf. Try and convince yourself that this is a leaf, please. Thank you. <laughs> right? If you if you never saw me tearing this out from this, and this is all I presented you, I said I'm going to go out and pluck a leaf and come. Right? I walk outside, pluck some, pluck this and come. Here, I got a leaf. You will be convinced that this is a leaf, a whole leaf. But right now, you don't because you saw me tearing it from this. In your mind now, these parts can no longer be put back into this, into this one leaf. But you can't stop perceiving this being a quarter of a leaf. Why is this a quarter? Because there is a one in your mind. There is a one. There is a one. That is what I'm talking about. Do the, do the cells in this leaf, in this part of the leaf, in this portion of the leaf, do, the, do any of the cells know that it was previously part of a bigger leaf? 
Do they? Do they? No. Does anyone else know this? Except for a chitta. Does anyone else know this? Or anything else know this? No. How about the other part of the leaf? Does it know that, you know, this was previously part of me and now it separated, said goodbye and went away, never to come back again? Does this leaf know this? Does this part know it? No. So then this on its own can, you know, is self-sufficient. But in your mind, you know that this is part of a leaf and you perceive it so. If you spoke to an arahant, the arahant would still say, yes, you tore it from that leaf and it is now a quarter of a leaf. But that he speaks through knowledge. He doesn't perceive. I, I don't know whether I can, I'm, I'm getting this point across to you as best as I want to. Because this is, this is, a, this is an internalized, it's a feeling, it's, 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 it's a wisdom that I, I, I don't know how I can plug or feed into you. you ne- it needs to arise in your own mind. I can't give that to you. I can only give you words. I can give you examples and similes and metaphors and analogies. But the actual realization has to happen within you. That I cannot give you as much as I want to, ladies and gentlemen. As much as I love you and care about you, I can't give that to you. It has to arise in your own mind. This realization, the realization that this is not part of this. Can you see that? Can you accept that this is not part of this? So then how is your child yours? How is your house yours? How is your car yours? Well then tell me, how is your arm yours? If this you are telling me is not part of this, how is your arm yours? Then why do you get offended when you are called short arm? Or if someone calls you shorty? Hmm? Why do you get offended? If someone mocks your bold head, why do you get offended? If someone calls you fatty, why do you get offended? You get offended if you feel that this is part of this. Meaning, you know, there are connections in this world. There is belonging in this world. But there is no belonging in this world. Your heart could be transplanted to someone else and it would work just fine. If it was just your heart and your heart alone, how could it work in someone else's body? Does the heart object to it? Does it? No. A heart will do what a heart will do because all a heart does is pump. It pumps blood. So wherever it is, if it's connected to the right valves, it is connected properly, if there's you know if there's energy that goes into regulating its rhythm and so on, it'll pump. That's it. It care it cares not at all whose body I'm in, because there is no such thing as a whose body. The heart does not belong to anybody. So why do you say then please don't break my heart? Why do you say I'm heartbroken? Why do you say she stole my heart? These are all emotions. Emotions of the mind. They are creations of the mind. They are fantasies of the mind. You live in a fantasy world. Come back to reality. Because in this fantasy world, you are fanatical. You are insane in this fantasy world. That's the world in which you live with the demon. So you don't get to be with the angels then, when you live with the demon. That is why you need this spell. Rupam Bhikkhaya Nitya. 
Realize the nature of anicca. Anicca is the manifestation. Anicca is cause and effect. You know, anicca can describe all of these things. Cause and effect, manifestation, right? Non-fixedness. All of this. This is because it's a nature. It's a quality. Like flowing is a quality, isn't it? Flowing is a quality. In the same way, anicca is a quality. It's a quality of, you can't say quality of. <laughs> it is the reality. It's just the quality. It's the quality of everything, if you like. Because all things are made possible because of anicca. So therefore, anicca is all there is. So, yadanichantam dukkha. <clears throat> now, here's, the, here's how this is such a powerful spell. So, here's the simple explanation of that, as simple as I can put it. If all there is is anicca, if anicca is the only characteristic, the only quality that exists, what's going on inside you right now is dukkha. Because remember, this, this, is a, this is someone who has a problem who's going to the Buddha for an answer. Yeah? Someone's got a problem. What is that problem? Buddha, I suffer. I've lost, I've lost my child, I've lost my wife, I've lost my husband, I, I'm, I'm in distress, I'm in bereavement, please help me. So the Buddha says, all there is is anicca. If all there is is anicca, then what's going on right now? Now he, this is the diagnosis. Okay, so here's the diagnosis. Tandukkha. What is the diagnosis? Tandukkha. How is that a diagnosis? If... Anicca was not the was not the reality, was not the characteristic that 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 affects and impacts and influences everything in this world, then what's happening right right now inside of you cannot be dukkha. Why is that? Dukkha is the product of anicca. There can't be dukkha if there's no anicca. That's why I say, you know, this is the biggest irony. When anicca when dukkha happens in the mind, it becomes a traitor. Why so? It's like a child who looks at their parents and say, I was not born from you. I didn't come from you. You are not my parents. I'm not your offspring. Imagine a child saying that to their parents. That's insane, right? In the same way, when dukkha happens in the mind, this is when the mind goes into insanity mode, and now the mind believes at that moment that I was not a creation of cause and effect. I was not a creation of conditionality. That is completely and utterly flawed. The very fact that it's able to say that is because of anicca. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? If not, give me a nod at least this way. I'll try and explain it again. Dukkha you know is jati. Hmm? You know that there is a process for jati to happen. Jati doesn't just fall out of the sky. Yeah, Remember what we've learnt on the board? There's a process... What is the process of jati? Right, so you have uh, you have the eye, and you have sight, right, and you have eye consciousness, right. Then you have the rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, and vijnana, right. This is this this is the chitta as it arises, and then you have the uh, the other process that runs in parallel, where you have ignorance and attachment, okay. And then you have, uh, uh, let's say, uh, 
pleasantness, yeah, so the pleasant feeling, and then you have, no, Tanha comes after, right? Yes, that is of here. Attachment, vexation, then Baba, and you have Jati. All right? <clears throat> no. Uh, after this. Okay. And Jati. So, now, is it not obvious and clear that Jati is not just something that falls out of the sky? Because there's a process for it. Yeah? It doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It doesn't fall out of thin air. Jati is a process. Here is that process. It's the same as Rupa. Rupa is a process. It's the product of a process. Vedana is a product of a process. In the same way, Jati is the product of a process. Now, imagine when Jati happens, and Jati happens in the mind, the thing with Jati is when Jati happens in the mind, the mind now believes that I am not the product of a process. That is why you feel this self right now. That self doesn't feel that I'm the product of a process, does it? You've always been there. Imagine now, just think about yourself without the Dhamma. Forget the Dhamma for a second. Okay? You know how you experienced yourself before you started listening to the sermons, before the Dhamma came into your life. I was there in my younger years. I'm here now and I will be there in the future. Never did you feel that this sense of self was actually a sense of self. You always thought that the self was there. It was an entity. Yeah? Yeah, Sukha. You always experienced the self as, a, as an entity. But now you learn this, you realize, ah, so all things are conditioned. If all things are conditioned, then Jati is also conditioned. See? Jati is conditioned, absolutely. That is why I take out any one of these things and Jati won't happen again. That is to prove that Jati is conditioned. These are the conditions. But the thing with Jati is, when Jati happens, it becomes a traitor, as I said. It looks back at, you know, it completely ignores the fact that I am only here because of conditions. This is the only thing in, this is the, only thing in the world that behaves in this manner. Looks back at, well, it doesn't know the causes that brings it up. That is ignorance, isn't it? If you understood this process, what in this process no longer exists? Ignorance, absolutely. Your understanding of, your very understanding of this process is the eradication of ignorance. Yeah? Your ignorance of this process is ignorance. So what is ignorance? The ignorance of this process. What is wisdom? Knowledge of this process. So when you are ignorant about this process, jati happens. What are you ignorant of? The process of jati. What are you knowledgeable or wise about? What do you have wisdom of? The knowledge, the process of this, of this, uh, sorry, the knowledge of this process. So what did the Buddha preach upon attaining Buddhahood? This process. Avidya pachya, sankara pachya, vinyana pachya, namarupa. Right? And he goes on to say jati. In that moment he had no jati. See, as the Buddha attained Buddhahood, he has 
freed himself from jati. How did that happen? He understood the process of jati. Absolutely. Exactly. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to identify jati as jati. You know, this is like darkness. You don't know you're in the dark when you're in the dark. If you were born into complete pitch black darkness, if you were born into darkness, would you know you're in the dark? No, to know that you're in the dark, light must shine. At least for a split second. The moment you've seen light, now you know you're in darkness. That is exactly what happened under the, under the Bodhi tree. His attaining to enlightenment, that is why they call it enlightenment, his attaining to enlightenment, his attaining to Buddhahood was the mere realization okay, that jati was a product of a process. Until he understood and realized that he was ignorant. So he was not the Buddha. So this is how you become a Buddha as well. Your Arahatta Buddha hood is attained in this way. That is why we are constantly going on about Jati and Abhisankar and Bhava and Avidya and Trishna and all that. To help you to understand this process. When you understand this process, you realize this is Jati. Then you realize that, oh, so if this is Jati, then this is Jati happening in the mind. Then therefore, this is not the self. This is simply the perception of a self. If this is the perception of a self, then what about fear? Fear of loss. Hmm? It's a perception. What about fear of death? It's a perception. It doesn't really exist. So death doesn't exist then. It's just a perception. What about grief? What about sorrow? What about despair and disappointment and frustration? These are all perceptions. But when jati happens, you begin to perceive the world as fixed entities. That is what jati does. You know, it's like, it's like if, I, if I pinched you, it hurts, right? If, I, if, I, if you were to pinch yourself, it would hurt. In the same way, when jati happens, it doesn't hurt. What happens is, you see the, you see the world as fixed entities. That's what happens. So, jati is the disease that happens to the mind by which the mind perceives fixed entities. Simple as that. That's why we call it separation. Separation is what the mind experiences as soon as jati happens. You know, that, that word jati is so fitting. Because when we talk about jati, right, this is panjati. Isn't it? Penjati. Now you, you, you will be more familiar with it because you want, you've used the word jati in Sinhalese. Learn a bit of Sinhalese, those of you who have listened to this. <laughs> so I can, I can explain the Dhamma to you better. Hmm? Jati is what we call types. In Sinhalese, right? Jati is a type, is a word for type. Yeah? So we call these pen types. These are duster types. Meaning, this is a separated object. Of which type? Pen type. This is not a duster type, is it? No, they ask, what is your type? Hmm? People ask you, what is your type? In other words, what they are asking is, what kind of separation do you like? How do you like it? Tall, fat, thin, short, ugly? <laughs> yeah. Huh? We, are the, we are the Sinhalese type, aren't we? We are the Sinhala type. The Tamil type. Hmm? The Muslim type. The burger type. See? Jati. All Jati. 
So that's, that's a fitting word for this separation. So when you say this is a pen jati or a pen type, I'm, I'm sorry, type doesn't really convey the, the idea, but it's the closest I can come. Yeah, this is a pen type or pen jati. Right? What you're saying is this configuration, this configuration, this arrangement, this assortment of rupa, we call jati. In other words, we separate this arrangement of rupa from all other arrangements of rupa and we give it a name. We call it pen. This is therefore pen jati. See, jati. So when jati happens in the mind, that's why I said, when jati happens in the mind, now the mind sees separated entities. Because that is what jati does. That is why we use that word to talk about separate things. His jati, my jati, their jati, her jati. We say, what is your type? What is his type? She's not her type. No, he's not his type. Or he's not her type. Whatever we say. What do we mean by that? We mean What we mean by that is, that arrangement, I don't like. Hmm? She's not my type. Have you not heard yourself say that? She's not my type. What do you mean by that? You know, the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he you know, does things. I don't like that. Meaning, I don't like that arrangement. If he changes, then I can consider. What you're saying again is, change that arrangement. Give me a different configuration and I will reconsider. So what you're saying right now then is, that jati, that type, I don't like. So whenever there is a type, you either like or you dislike. Yes? <laughs> so th- this is what jati does to the mind. Whenever jati happens in the mind, a mind that was simply born to perceive the sight. This is, this is where the mind was born. To do this and only this. This is why we call it minding. Right? Minding your own business. When the mind minds its own business, this is all that happens. This is all that should happen. But, ignorance and attachment now creates the abode for the demon. Here's the demon. Here's that demon. And here's the abode. When you create that abode, in the mind, now, this mind is no longer that. What it is something like that. I'm trying to represent Jati having happened to the mind. No, it doesn't look like that because it doesn't look like this. Okay, I'm trying to give you a, a pictorial representation of what this might be. There, there is there is dis- distortion. This is warped. There's there's kind of metamorphosis. Some things happen. It's not the same thing. So when this has happened, now the mind sees separation. Don't you? Don't you see separation? Did, isn't that isn't that how you could say that I, this is one quarter of this leaf? Now, now answer this question for me. When I say this is one quarter of this leaf, which part should I show you now? This part or this part? <laughs> exactly. This is one quarter of this leaf. Am I right to say that? So can't I just say this is one quarter of this leaf? That you don't like. See, you don't like me saying this is one quarter of this leaf. You want me to show you the other part. So therefore, this was torn from this, wasn't it? In fact, usually the bigger part you refer to as the leaf. Let's take another leaf. You must bring these leaves every day, okay? So we can do, we can keep this practical. Hmm? Right. So I'm going to tear. 
let's say this is what one fifth one sixth of this <coughs> hmm? now this is the smaller part this is the bigger part now when I have to say I tore a part of the leaf how, which part should I show in, at which part of this conversation I tore this part from this leaf isn't that how you would, you would say it as well See how wrong that is. I tore this part from this leaf. Now you always say that about the bigger part. You always say that about the bigger part. You don't say I tore this part from this leaf. You don't say that, do you? Why don't you say that? Think about it. Why does that not seem natural? Because you feel that this part has now somehow forsaken its its its, its bigger part, its bigger you know entity. This is the this was always the entity. Because you like to you like to separate. I'm talk when I say you I mean the mind a mind that is I'm actually talking to the demons within you I'm trying to chase away the demon okay so any insult any offense is directed to the demon not to you I want you to stay right you don't go let's get let's send the demon away all right so this is a spell own ring cut to cut to <laughs> where's that part oh, this part how about the part from the other leaf is that not part of this leaf now That's not, is it? See? Now this is the quarter from the previous leaf, wasn't it? It's not part of this leaf, is it? Even if I were to tear it up so that it was exactly the same shape, so that it could fit the, the leaf that we just tore it off from, you are still not happy because you will tell Swami, that is from the, the previous leaf, not this leaf. So please put it to a side and can you take the, this part of this leaf? This is what I am talking about, separation. Because in your mind you have this jati, see, and this is part of this jati, this type, and you have this type. This was the previous leaf, this type. See, this is all because of the demon. This is what the demon does to you. You want to say, you, you need separation, you need lines drawn, right, in this world. You, you need that lattice. There's a lattice. A lattice that you use to separate things. On a field, you know, in, in, this, in this universe where everything is one. So therefore you can't say everything. It's all one. If there's only one thing, uh, if it's all one, how can you talk about things then? If all there is is just one, then there are no things. But when jati happens in the mind, now you begin to separate everything. You don't you see, you see beyond the, beyond what they really are. You see beyond the manifestations, and you call them jati. But this is what I was I was talking about. When jati happens in the mind, this is the biggest mockery. This is the biggest joke ever. When jati happens in the mind, now the mind believes that I am not the product of conditions. I am not conditional. I am not the product of a process. I, you know what what the mind says? I am God. That's what the mind says. I am God. I am the creator. I am the provider. That's what the mind says. That is what the mind says. I am God. So when you are God, what must you do? You must provide for yourself, shouldn't you? When you are God, who has to provide for you? Because God is the provider. He is the creator. Right? It is to him all things belong. Who do you, you know, if you ask someone who believes in God and you ask him, you know, 
to whom does everything belong? Like the stars, the moons, the planets, the, the whole universe, they'll say, it is to God. Right? Now, if everything belongs to God, but then you tell me that this is your pen. If everything belongs to God, and you tell me that this is your pen, <clears throat> in relation to this pen, who is God? You. See, now you are playing God. That is why you were chased away from, from, from paradise. That is why you were chased away from paradise. Yes, because you ate that apple. The forbidden apple. You know, the story goes like this. I mean, we, we talked about this with the Swami says yesterday or the day before. The sermon that we did. The story goes like this, right? There was paradise. There was a garden. Right? So God's garden. And there was, it was, it was well provided for. Because God provides for everyone. There's plenty and in abundance for all. But there was this one tree that you were not supposed to eat from. Because it was said that if you eat from that tree, you become the equal of God. Oh, so true this. <laughs> I share with you how I understand this story now. Okay, so but this is not to say this is the this was the intention or the or the or the thinking behind the original story. I'm just telling you how I, I interpret it. Okay, am I is it okay for me to share that with you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> right. So so there was there was a garden and you know there were there was enough and more for everyone. But so there are two people in this story, Adam and Eve. Right? And they represent. They represent they represent something. I'll let you work out what the what those representations are. Let's go through the story first. But in this tree in this in this garden there was one tree that you were not supposed to eat from because the it, the, the story goes that if you eat from that tree, then you become as knowledgeable as God. You become God's equal. So God, in his desire to test your obedience. To, to test your servitude, to test your, uh, your subservientness to, to him, right? he created this tree and said, this is the forbidden tree, don't eat from it. Because if you eat from that tree, what happens? You become God's equal. Because his knowledge, his power, his wisdom, everything, you, everything God knows, you get to know. This is, this is how the story goes. So, Adam being Adam, he didn't. He he obeyed God. He didn't want to. He didn't want to pluck a, a, any apples or even touch the tree. But then Eva, being Eva, <laughs> right? So now there's a serpent that comes in in the story, right? Now you can you can try to understand what this serpent represents. Okay, so there's a serpent that comes in. So they, that's the Satan, right? So the Satan comes in and whispers in Eva's ear and says something like this. You know that tree there? That tree that God doesn't want you to eat from. Do you know why that is? It's because if you eat from that tree, you become God. In other words, God wishes to suppress you. He wishes to keep you subservient to Him. He wishes to, be, he wishes to stand above you. Why do you, why do you settle for that? So this is what Satan is saying. Why do you settle for that? Don't be his servant. 
be his equal. Hmm? Don't be his servant. Be his equal. Don't be his sheep. Why don't you also become the shepherd? So now Eva being Eva, <laughs> she has, you know, she thinks about this, she mulls over it, and then she goes and speaks to Adam. She says, Adam, listen to me, will you? And that tree. You know, God wants to wants to wants to oppress us. He wants to keep us his slaves, his servants. So therefore, he has forsake he he has he doesn't want us to be his equals. He wants us to be ignorant. He wants us to be his servants. Why don't we eat from that tree? So initially, Adam is severely goes against it. He doesn't want to betray God, like all good husbands. See, I'm speaking on on your behalf, ladies. Like like all good husbands, yes, they listen to their wives. <clears throat> you know, actually, back then there was no concept of husband and wife. In fact, they were naked. This is how the story goes. Adam and Eva, they were naked. They not not a thread to cover their nudity because they didn't they didn't until then experience this 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 feeling of lust or desire or naked or shame. None of these things were there in the mind. They didn't experience any of these because the demon wasn't there yet. But it's coming. Okay? So, so then, like any good husband, Adam said, fine, if you say so, I will comply. So Adam walks into the garden and he plucks the apple and he takes a bite. And he gives Eva this apple and Eva takes a bite. So it is said that the moment they took that bite, the first thing they, took, they did was they covered their nudity. Adam realized that he was a man. Now think about what we talked about just a few moments ago. Adam realized that he was a man. Eva realized that she was a woman. So what must a man do? He must cover his man parts. And what must a woman do? She must cover her woman parts. So they did. Because they felt shame and embarrassment. The demon had come. Because they wanted to be equal with God. So now God realized this transgression against him. And God came and he demanded they leave paradise. He said, you have now forsaken me. You are no longer my children. You do not obey me, you have betrayed me. This is the original sin. You shall now leave this garden and provide for yourselves. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what have you all been doing ever since? Providing for yourselves. Yes, and, and for yourself and your people. <clears throat> because before this, everybody was God's child. So, you didn't have to provide for yourself. 
But now you have to you have to you have to cultivate for yourselves. We have to grow our own food. Back then you didn't have to. Because God provided. He was the provider. The reason I was I was uh, talking about this with uh, one of our Swami Nuhansas was I was telling him, Swami Nuhansa, just think about it, right? When you were a lay person, I think 16 years of age, when you were lay, you had one mother and you you thought of her as your mother and you were her son, right? So back then, your mother provided for you. But now you are a monk. So upon becoming a monk, you have given up your mother. Now who provides for you? I asked him. Now he says, well, now Swami Nasa, everyone is like my mother. I said, exactly. See, now every mother provides you. Back then, only one mother cooked for you, one mother looked after you, one mother took care of you. Right? If you are ill, only that mother would come and attend to you. But now, every mother does that. See, in attaching yourself to one thing, you have to sacrifice everything. But if you can give up that one thing, now God provides for you. As I asked him, because we were actually being driven back from Rajagiri last, last week, and um, I asked him, you know, we are now being driven in a car, you've got the driver there. You know, back when you were a lay person, if you had a car, who would have to drive it? I asked him. He said, I'd have had to driven, drive the car. Right? And then you'd have to hold the steering wheel and you know, work the pedals, right? watch, for, watch out for traffic and all that. Even when it is your car. Right? You're the one who has to do the driving. So really, you know, the person who drives the car doesn't enjoy the luxury of the car. It's the people who sit in the passenger seat who really enjoy the luxury of the car. So I said, but think about it now, Swami. No, I said, you don't have a car. Back when you had a car, you could only be, you could only drive in your car. People wouldn't just randomly give you lifts, would they? But what about now? Now everybody wants to give you a lift. Say, for example, I said to you, I, I need to go to town. Okay? And I asked you in the audience, uh, Madam, sir, please, could you kindly give me a lift? Anyone here who would say, no, 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 go get your own car? You would all be more than happy, I would assume, to give the Swami Nuhansa a lift, wouldn't you? Hmm? You'd all be happy. Right? Because you would consider it an honor, a privilege. But if I had my own car, sometimes you might even ask me, take your own bloody car. Why are you asking me? See, in, in holding on to my things, in other words, in being my own provider, when I play God, God forsakes me. Back when they were in paradise, Adam and Eve, they didn't have to provide for themselves because God provided everything. Because they were God's children. So the food they didn't have to cultivate, it was all there. Shelter was all there. They didn't even have to provide clothing for themselves because shame was not, not, was not part of the sentiment. That wasn't there. But now that you have started to become, you feel that you are God. You feel that things belong to you. Why do I say that this, this, this is a feeling of God? Because everything belongs to God ultimately. But if you say that, that this belongs to you, now you are God in relation to this. Aren't you? If your child belongs to you, then you are God in relation to your child. If your house belongs to you, then you are God in relation to your, to your house. So in other words, you are playing God. You wish to be God. 
When you wish to be God, God chases you out of paradise. You can't be in paradise and not be subservient to God. You have to surrender. That is why the Holy Bible says, surrender. And it is true. Surrender. We interpret God as Vipaka. That is how we understand God. In our, in our definition of God, you know, Vipaka is God. Vipaka is the provider. What you eat for lunch today, who provides that? Vipaka. Others will say God. Fine. But what about when you want to be your own provider? <clears throat> if you are not willing for any Vipaka to come, if you have specific types of Vipaka that you want, Right? If you are, if you are, if you want, to, if you separate vipaka, good vipakas and bad vipakas. I like I like apples, but I don't like oranges. Now God has oranges to offer, but you don't like oranges. You want apples. Then what does God say? Fine, I have to oranges to give. You don't want oranges, then go and get your own apples. Now you have to go looking for apples. See, He is prepared and willing to provide, but you have to be willing to accept. To be willing to accept. You have to give up what you hold dear, what you believe brings you happiness, and let him decide. In other words, let Vipaka decide. So who's an Arahant then? Someone who has surrendered to Vipaka. That's why he's an angel. Someone who has surrendered to Vipaka. An Arahant is someone who is happy no matter what Vipaka comes his way. If it's oranges that Vipaka brings, then it is oranges he shall have. If it's apples that Vipaka shall bring, then it's apples that he shall have. He chooses not, because he separates not. To him, apples are no better than oranges, and oranges are no worse than apples. They're all equal. As we were driving, we were looking at all the houses on either side of the road, and I was telling him, look at those houses. Yeah, that are, you know, I, I feel about them in two ways. One, big houses, good. You know, people's merit. Let's rejoice in that. Sadhu sadhu. Merit has brought them this. But then I said, you can look at the size of that house and imagine how much maintenance needs to go into it. You know, there were houses the size of, you know, almost half a palace. And he said, look at the size of that house. The, the residents of that house, you know, they must have to maintain that house like, you know, at least two or three days every week must be put in. To, to just clean the house from top to bottom. And, you know, if something breaks, you have to fix it. Right? But you, Swami Nuhansa, I was telling him, you have given up your house. You have allowed God to provide for you. So now, you don't have to go building houses. God gives. Who builds these houses? God. You all. But if I had a house and I came and asked you, can you make another house for me? Would you? No. See, the very reason you are happy to offer a kuti to a Swami Nuhansa is because he doesn't have a kuti. And any kuti that you offer is not his kuti. He doesn't accept it as his. He doesn't have a sense of belonging. That is why you offer it to him. Or to her. Or to whoever. Whoever is in, you know, a member of the sasana. That's why. You have no resentment towards it. You have no, you know, you don't have like, you know, a, a, a bad feeling about it. You know, you, you are quite happy to provide for those who don't claim things for themselves. 
So we don't have to cultivate. We don't have to. We don't have to. We don't have to make a living because a living has been made by God. In other words, when you surrender and let Vipaka do its thing, then from there on, you know, you you are you are free. But why are you not free? You are not free when you have things that you like, things that you dislike, and then you are not free. You are not, you are not willing. You are not ready to accept Vipaka as it comes. This God that I refer to is the self or this jati, this demon. When you when this demon happens in the mind, right? When jati happens in the mind, you play God. Now you have yourself and you have your people. So now who has to provide for your children? You have to provide for your children. So what you are saying is God doesn't provide for them, so I have to provide for them. See? But there are mothers here who have given up their children to the sasana. Do you still provide for them? No. Because God does. When you give up your child as my child, you give up your child, now that child can enter paradise. And then every mother looks after that child. See, when my mother gave me up, now every mother looks after me. But when my mother held on to me as, as, my, as her son, and in my mind, if I was only her, her, her son, right, then all love should come from her, all caring should come from her, all affection should come from her, and only her. Just think about this. When you were younger, right, in your classrooms, you played with your friends, didn't you? Right? They were boys, they were girls, and it made no difference. They were all the same. After a while, you began to have a best friend. Do you remember? That there was a day someone asked you, who's your best friend? I mean, there was a day someone asked you, who's your best friend? And you said, a best who? What, what friend? You asked that question. I remember being asked, who's your best friend? I didn't have an answer. So then I, I wondered, should I have an answer to that? I mean, it seems weird that I don't have an answer to a question that is being asked of me. So then I realized I need to have an answer to this. Who's my best friend? I remember going and asking someone. I can't remember who it is now. I remember asking someone, who's a best friend? I, I, I really remember asking this question. Whether I don't know whether it was from a teacher or my, or my parents. I said, who's a best friend? And then they explained to me, a best friend is someone who you have a special connection with. They are, they are more special than your other friends. Right? They are that special friend with whom you have a really good bond, a nice link with. Right? So you do special things with them that you wouldn't do with others. Now in that time, you know, I had plenty of jati. So the jati is always looking for separation. So I, in my mind I was hearing, so you're telling me that there is someone in this world that I can separate for myself? Really? Brilliant! <laughs> so I went looking for my best friend. I remember at school I used to ask a few friends who, used, who I used to spend time with, can you be my best friend? Because now I needed to have a best friend. So now we see some of these dynamics at Noble Hearts. Hmm? <clears throat> so we teach them. We teach them about this. Yeah, young children, innocent children, you know, because they, 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 they come from everywhere, you know, all, all walks of life. So, you know, they are, they are looking for a best friend. But we teach them the truth. And what we teach them is, Puta, when you want to have a best friend, you have to forsake friendship from everybody else. 
See, when you have a best friend, you can only have that person as special. <clears throat> so you have to spend time with only that person. Now you can't spend time with everybody else. Because if you spend time with somebody else more than you do with your best friend, what's going to happen then? Jealousy. Envy. Right? Then your best friend is going to come and ask you, Huh? I thought you were my best friend. How come you're going to talk with them? This happened to all of you in your lives. Later on, when you, when you had a best friend and you had a girlfriend. Remember what happened then? Huh? Or you had a boyfriend. Remember what happened then? Until then, you could spend time with all the boys. Right? Any smile was okay. Everyone, you could, you could smile with all the boys in the class. But there was one day where you decided he was going to be my boyfriend. From that day on, you couldn't smile with all the boys, could you? You couldn't smile with all the girls. You see, now God was willing for you to be happy with everyone. So he sent all his children and said, smile with him, smile with him, smile with her. But then you decided, no, I want to play God. I shall provide for my own happiness. Let's not let God bother about that. So when you decided that you want to decide who you were going to be happy with and how you were going to be happy, you forsake God. And then you said, you are going to be my best friend. You are going to be my girlfriend. You are going to be my boyfriend. And then from that day on, you couldn't play with the other friends. Remember when you were younger, you used to hold hands with everyone in the class. It mattered not whether it was a boy or a girl. Right? And even if you were you know, in, in a group of boys and girls, you, know, you, could, you would play Ring a Ring of Roses, and you would play trains, and you would play all sorts of things. But then as soon as you had a boyfriend, you know, at the tender age of five, <laughs> nowadays, uh, when, you have a, when you have a girlfriend, now she's forbidden from talking to other boys. And you are forbidden from talking to other girls. See how much you have to sacrifice when you try to play God. All the smiles, all the loves, all the affection and the love and the caring you had to sacrifice because you, you decided that you, it had, you had to decide. You had to be the provider for yourself. Meaning, you said, I am not a sheep, I am the shepherd. So you left your flock. That's what happened. You left your flock. I don't want a shepherd. I can be my own shepherd. That is why the scriptures say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd and I am his sheep. In other words, what you are saying is, I surrender to Vipaka. May God be my provider. I no longer want to be God. I don't want to play God. I want to be subservient. Have me as your child. This is the original sin, they call it. And that is so true. This is the original sin. This is the original sin. The sin that is the mother of all sins. This is the sin of all sins. The mother of all sins. Because it is when jati happens, everything else happens from there on. The eleven great fires and all the other defilements. From greed, from jealousy, to envy, to pride. Huh? All of this. Hate and love and desire and disgust and all of this, they're all rooted in jati. Because it is all rooted in the sense of separation. Because when you, when you separate yourself, you are God 
to the remit to which you have separated yourself. And in your house, who is God? At home, who is God? Huh? I am God, right? Yes. In your house, you are God. My house? My? My rules. You say. My house, my rules. I am king. See, what you are saying is, in this abode, I am God. See, you want to play God. So when someone wants to have a, a much bigger house, what they are trying to do is, <clears throat> I mean, not out of necessity, I mean. You know, if you have 15 members in your family, you need 15 bedrooms. Fair enough. But what I am saying is, there are only three of you. But 15 bedrooms. Why? Because if I am God, then the bigger my, my property, the bigger claim I can have to God. This is why people will not stop until they feel that the whole world belongs to them. And even then it's not going to be enough. Because when you try to play God, you want to be bigger and better and greater and engulf all and everything. You want to be, you want to become, you know, you, you want to feel omniscient. You're everywhere. This is, this is the feeling of jati. Separating, everything separating for yourself. So we separated our land. Hmm? We said this is Sri Lanka and that is India. This is Pakistan and that is Burma. See, we separated. This is Thailand and that is Philippines. This is Japan and this is China. See, see what we've done. God gave us all land. And the funny thing is, if you take out all the water, it's just like a half-eaten apple, isn't it? Underneath, we are all connected, aren't we? All land, all the continents, if you just, if you took out all the water, it's like an eaten apple. It's all connected. Put the water back in, it gives us the appearance that we are all separate. As I said, you know, this is a world for madmen. This is a demon's world. The demon plays his tricks. And people have fallen victim. So, you know, this is why we need this spell to go beyond this. Right? And to understand, If this is jati, then it is not real separation. Atta is separation, real separation, proper separation, absolute separation. Natta, there is no absolute separation. It is not possible, it is not achievable. We live in an inseparable world. But then why do I still experience this separation? Ah, it is because of Dukkha. Yam Dukkha Tadanatta. It is because of Dukkha. In other words, it is because of Jati. You experience that the world is separate. That is why you tell me, Swami Nasa, this part belongs to this part and not to this part. It is because of jati. In your mind you experience separation. But things in this world, they are not separate. Nothing is separate. Nothing is separable. They are all inseparable. But jati happens in the mind. As soon as jati happens, you begin to perceive a separation. The first separation you experience is yourself. Because where it happens is where you experience it initially. And that separation, you have to give it a name. Remember what the mind does. The mind perceives. Yeah? It receives. It recognizes. It responds. And it perceives. So that is what the mind does. So the moment the mind experiences a product of jati, it has to identify it. When this happens, 
Jati has happened in the mind and the mind arose to identify a sight. But now it experiences something in addition to the sight. What is that something? That is a separation. Now that separation has to be perceived. When you perceive, what, and what instrument do we have to perceive things? The mind, absolutely. So the mind now runs trying to perceive that thing that is not usual, it's unusual, it's, it's not regular. And the moment that the mind perceives that separation, now the mind needs to give it a name. That name is I. That is why you always want to know what to call yourself. Because the mind experiences that separation, it identifies it. But I, you know, that is what the mind does. It minds, right? It's always minding. Whatever comes its way, it minds. So you so show it this, it minds this, but you also feel separation. That is a separate thing. Now, when the mind experiences separation, it cannot stop at giving this a name. It has to give that separation a name. So therefore, you say, "I am seeing the duster." If you didn't have that, you just say, "Seeing the duster." Seeing the duster. But now you say, I am seeing the duster, because the mind is picking up this. It falls into the radar. And as soon as it falls into the radar, it has to recognize it. And it can give it a name. In different languages, we have different names for it. I, me, yeah, mama, and so on. Once you understand this, and really realize, and you come, you, once you are enlightened with this, Right? Every, every time we talk about this, we are chiseling away at ignorance. That's what we are doing here. I can't, I can't eradicate attachment from your minds. I can't even touch any of these things. I can't, I can't help you to stop vexation. I can't stop the abhisankara. I can't stop the bhava. I can't stop any of those things. Only thing I can do, the only thing I can do is chisel away at ignorance. That is why I am speaking to your minds through your ears. These words, to have its desired effect, has to, has to go and touch the mind base and drill away at ignorance. This rock of ignorance, it has to drill away at it. And every time, a little bit is chiseled away. What is ignorance after all? The ignorance of the process of jati. Jati only happens in the mind because you don't know it's jati. That's why. That is why jati happens, because you don't know it's jati. Because if, if you knew it was jati, now you know jati is the root of all of the eleven great fires. Why would you accept that? Why would you want that? Why would you allow that? The only reason you allow it is because you don't know it. Right? I mean, <clears throat> imagine there was, a, there, was a, there was someone who was a, who pretended to be a friend, but he's here to kill you. If you didn't know that, you'd accept him, wouldn't you, into your home? Yeah, he says, hi, my tongue, how are you? Yeah, come on in, come on in. You, what you don't know is he has a dagger. And he's here to kill you. Or he's here to poison you. If you knew that, would you allow him into your home? No, you wouldn't start touching with the barge pole. But now you do because you don't know that behind this enemy, sorry, behind this friend is an enemy. If you somehow got to know this, now you'd beware. Yeah? And now, even... Say, say you got news. Hey, I've just heard that so and so is coming to, you know, uh, kill you. But I thought he was my friend. Yes, but now he's jumped camp. He's going to betray you tonight. This is what Judas did. He betrayed Jesus. So he pretended to be a friend, 
but backstabbed. So once you realize that he who comes as a friend is really an enemy, but he's in a mask, he's in a veil, right? once you realize this, you no longer accept this as friend. You realize that this is an enemy, this is the biggest enemy, this is your demon. So, Yadanichantandukka. Understanding Anicca. See, now you understand Anicca. Why do I point at this and say this is Anicca? Cause and effect. Jati is a manifestation. It's not a thing that you have to kick out of your mind. It's not a thing to kick out. It's not a thing to chase away. It's a manifestation. It's a formation. It happens wherever ignorance and attachment prevail. So when ignorance and attachment don't exist, don't prevail, jati can no longer exist. So it's a manifestation. Understanding this process is the understanding of anicca. Now you see, to sum up our spell, we can wrap it up here. Yadanicca. Now you see anicca? Yeah? Yadanicca tandukkha. If it was not anicca, if it wasn't anicca, if it wasn't anicca, if what wasn't anicca, you can't say that. If anicca was not the characteristic, not of anything or everything, if anicca was not the characteristic, right, then this wouldn't be jati. In which case, this would be the actual self. But there is no such thing called self. But in case anicca was not the characteristic of all entities, right? then the self that you experience would actually be a real thing. There would actually be an atma. There would actually be one. An atma that would drive you from life to life. An atma that would bring you reincarnation. And every reincarnation, it would be you traveling from, journey to, from, from destination to destination. It would be you becoming a god. It would be you becoming a demon. It would be you becoming an angel. It would be you becoming a human being. It would be you becoming an animal, and then tra- and you know traveling in this uh, in this process of life and death, reincarnation. This is what you know. Even Buddhists who believe that they're they're true Buddhists and they're Buddhists by virtue of the fact that they believe in rebirth, they are still they still haven't got this clue, clued up. They still think that I I die and then I'm born again and then that person dies and then I'm born again and I die and I'm born again and I die and I'm and I'm born again. It is not you who's who's dying and being born again. That again is a, is a sense of atma, self. It's not the spirit. People think it's a spirit. My spirit will travel. When I die, my spirit will go to heaven. My spirit will go to hell. It is not such a thing. It is not an atma. But if anicca wasn't there. If that characteristic of anicca wasn't there, then that would be true. But it's not. Therefore, we can't call it self. We have to call it jati. What is jati? Separation. Typing. Not this typing. Typing. Leaf type. Pen type. Girl type. Boy type. My type. His type. Your type. Don't like that type. (laughs) That type. So therefore, yadanichang, this is anicca, cause and effect, tandukkang, yandukkang, tadanatta. In other words, if this is jati, if this is dukkha, then separation cannot be. 
So if separation cannot be, then what is? Sense of separation. What is? Sense of separation. What is not? Separation. But until you recognize that this is only a perception of separation, like what you experienced a moment ago. Now you tell me these are two leaves. They're not from the same. See? Until you recognize that this is only the making of jati, this is cause and effect driven, you will always feel this separation that exists. You will always feel your son is your son. Your daughter is your daughter. Your husband is your husband. Your mother is your, your mother. Uh, you will always feel it that way. And you will feel that mother is mother. You will not see that mother is just carrot, but reconfigured. You can't see your son as vattaka, reconfigured. What is vattaka? Pumpkin. You can't see your, your, your child as just a, just a pumpkin reconfigured. But that is the truth, isn't it? What did you feed your child? Pumpkins. And onions. And carrots. And tomatoes. And potatoes. All of that reconfigured. In a body. The body's DNA is just the blueprint which is capable of taking in whatever that is put through your gob reconfiguring it according to the blueprint and rearranging it. That is what your DNA does. That is why no matter what you eat, whether you eat fish or chicken or you know any other thing, whether you eat bird or beast, right, or whatever vegetation you eat, you're always this shape. Eating chicken does not give you wings. Because your DNA is the blueprint which is capable of taking in whatever you, you put into your mouth Breaking it down, reconfiguring it to this formation, this arrangement. That is what your DNA does. That is why you are this shape. Again, cause and effect. It's not because you are you, it's just because of your DNA. Not your DNA, DNA. See, everything is cause and effect. Accept that. Accept that and you can be back in paradise. Reject that and you'll have to provide for yourself. Because if you forsake God, then you have to play God. If you play God, then you have to provide everything for yourself. Everything. You know this is true because if you only take one moment to look at your lives, you know, in the sasana, we have come some way. Surrendering to God. That is why today I don't care what I eat or where I, where I get it from. I don't have a family. Therefore you are all my family, see? Previously I had three or four people in my family. I gave them up. Now I have everyone. But if you are still family to three or four people, then that is all. That is the only family you have. If you, have, if you are the child to only one mother, no other mother will call you their child. But see, at the monastery, every mother is my mother. Every father is my father. They all look after me. They all provide for me. They all care, take care of me. See? I don't think my mother and father have come here more than two or three times. But all of you. You come here, you provide, you, you do everything. Because I have given up my mother. I don't want to be a son to one mother. Every mother is my mother. See, the moment you grasp something for yourself, you have to give up everything else. The moment you give that up, now you belong to everything. That is why last week we talked about the man of the world. If you are a man of the world, right, the whole world is there to provide for you. 
if you want to create your own world and you don't be a man of the whole world, you want to be a, your, your, the king of your own world, then in that world, you have to create it, you have to maintain it, you have to provide for it, you have to, you have to protect it and all that. So, free yourself. To free yourself, all you have to do is realize that this is the demon. Identify the demon. Identify the demon. Spot the demon. We spoke about spotting the mosquito once. Spot the demon. Spot the demon. Once you spot the demon, you will realize that this is a process. Once you realize this is a process, that in itself is the wisdom that you need to free yourself. Does that all make sense to you? I hope it does. <clears throat> now we have Siyumaga, as most of you will know. I think all of you know about Siyumaga, but there are some who listen to us online. They are not, they don't know about Siyumaga. Siyumaga is our Dhamma school for our young children. Uh, for any, any child really who wishes to make a transformation in their life and go on this journey. A lot of our young people here today are really stories, success stories of Siyumaga. They started off just coming to the monastery, joining a Dhamma school, either online or in person, listen to a talk, listen to a Swami Nuhanse, listen to an Anagarika Mahatmya, right? And then something started to happen within themselves. They began to realize the truth. They realized that attachment is what was bringing them suffering. And then slowly they went on a gradual path and they, are now, they have now been able to free themselves from that. I mean, most of our, if not all of our 18 minus uh, group, we have about 40 of them now. They're all students of the Siyumaga program. So you know that it's a black hole. If you bring your child to Siyumaga, you'll not see them again. So, but it's because, you know, they, they, once they come and they understand the Dhamma, they realize, why should I be a child to one mother? When I can be a child to every mother? Hmm? But it takes greatness in the parents, really. Because usually a parent brings a child into this world and they want the child to look after them. They want the child to be there for them when they grow older. And most parents have this in the back of their minds. You know, I don't know whether it's selfish or selfless. Regardless of that, you know, this is a hope, a dream that parents have. You know, they will be there to take my name, to, to, to pass on my property, to, to, you know, to be there, to, so that people will speak of me one day in 500 years from now. Only if my, my child will live on. But the thing is this, right? We speak of this man two and a half thousand years since he passed away. Hmm? But he didn't leave anyone to pass his name. Even his child, Prince Rahula, he gave up. See, in giving up, you live forever. If you hold on, your days are numbered. It is those people who gave up, who we speak of many, many, many years after their passing away. Today we still speak of Mahatma Gandhi, we speak of Jesus Christ, we speak of Mother Teresa. You know, we speak of them because of whatever they gave up. That is why we speak of them. So two and a half thousand years from the Buddha's passing away, we speak of him because he gave up everything. 
Do we speak, still speak of your great-great-great-grandfather? Do you even know what he was called? Do you know what he was called? Uh, let alone anybody else? Not even you know his name or where he lived. You may know your grandfather, you know, but your great-grandfather or your great-great-grandfather, go back to five, six generations, you don't even know. You don't even, you haven't even heard of them. But look at this great man. Hmm? Had no children. So he was a father to all because he gave up his child. He gave up his family because he wanted to be family to all. So everyone is now his family. So when everyone is family, when everyone is his child, now every child speaks of this father. Every man, woman and child speak of this father. Two and a half thousand years since his passing away. And we know for another two and a half thousand years to come, we will still speak, speak of him. To achieve greatness, you have to give up petty desires. Petty infatuations, you have to give them up to achieve greatness. So that is what we help Siyumagal students to achieve. Go on to become great people. Not just a good child to a mother or a father, but to be a great human being. That is what Siyumagal does. So we have children from the age of uh, seven, to 16 in our Siyumagadama school. So anyone out there who wishes to help their child embark on this wonderful adventure, this incredible life-transforming journey, in the presence of noble companionship, monks, Anagarikas, Nanagarika Mahatmyas, who do a fantastic job. I can't sing enough their the good deeds that they do and the, and, and the blessing that they bring into these children's lives. You know, they, are, they have become a tremendous force for good. If you speak to a child of the Siyumaga Dhamma school, you will know what I mean. You know, they are not like any other child. Especially if, someone, if there is someone who has been coming, coming along for a few days, a few weeks, months, years. That transformation you know, is remarkable. And then they become... You know, men of the world, women of the world. So, the Simagadharma school is taking applications again. We do it uh, once a quarter. <clears throat> so, we don't do it year, year round, all year round. We take it, we take it in uh, tranches. And from today, the 29th of July, for two weeks, we will be taking applications. And the Simagadharma school is conducted both in Sinhalese and in English. So there's an international program for uh, for our children who are not conversant in Sinhala. And uh, so that opportunity is available for them as well. So the Siyamagadamma school, as you know, is conducted both at the monastery and online for children who are unable to join us. And there are quite a few children, I think certainly more than 50 or 60 children out there internationally who join us online for their Dhamma education. So for more information, please, uh, there's a website on which you can get that, siyumaga.org, if I'm not mistaken. Or you can get information from the Charity Trust by contacting them. So there we go. From goodness to greatness. From womb to tomb. Hmm? That is what we aspire to. So that we can serve every human being who has had the good fortune to come into this world in the era of the Gautama Buddha.
Right? We, we want to be there for them and we want to guide them. Because, you know, this is not something just you and I or I with the, the Swami Nuhansas or Guru Swami Nuhansas. You know, it's not just something that a few, a few of us do. We all do this collectively. This is our collective effort. We can't make this change in five, six years you know, just by a few monks coming together. Certainly not. That would be impossible. It is our collective effort for good. You know, I know when all things, all is said and done, you know, maybe 600 years from now, we will have only made a small dent in this world. Perhaps. Perhaps it will be, perhaps it won't even be noticeable. Maybe a very small dent in this world. But we will have lived our lives to the fullest. I think that is what matters. So that when we go, when we leave, we know that our lives have not been, have not been lived in vain. We know, we know that our lives have been lived with purpose. We don't need to make a big change. We don't need to make massive changes. No, we're not here for that. Let's make a big change within ourselves. And as we do so, let's try and make a small change, microscopic it might be, on the lives of other people. But as we all come together, that those microscopic changes can make a big impact. So, whatever you do, every day, every waking day, right, as you wake up in the morning and make that adhisthana, and make a resolve to do good, to be, to be, to be a, a source of kindness and, and benevolence to all sentient beings, right? remind yourselves and rejoice in the fact that your presence in this world is a blessing to all human beings. Because there are few like you. There are few who think like you. Even fewer who act like you. The Buddha knew that his sasana would prevail for 5,000 years, not just because of him. He knew that they would be disciples. He knew that there would be people who would follow in his footsteps, bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, as well as the upasakas and the upasikas, who would realize the truth, listen to his teaching, and make that change within themselves. And as they make that transformation, they would make an impact an impact so strong that 5,000 years from his, from his passing away, that people will still see the truth. So, that is what we are here for. Helping ourselves and along the way, helping as many people as we can. Right, let us do the transfer of merits for today and bring today's sermon to a close then. <clears throat> can I also remind you that we have the Vassaradhana, which is the invitation for Vass observation. On Tuesday the 1st, Tuesday the 1st, yes, am I right? Yeah, on Tuesday the 1st, uh, the program will be streamed online and uh, it will be emceed in both Sinhalese and English. So if there's anyone online who wishes to join us and witness the Rains Retreat or the invitation for the Rains Retreat, then you're all welcome to do so. That will begin at 6 p.m. Sri Lankan time on Tuesday the 1st of August which is on the Asalapoya day. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired 
by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, listening to the Dhamma, preaching the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. So first and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude towards the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, let us transfer these merits to them who have taken great effort to preserve the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to all the members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these mails to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these mails to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provide for the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines. May by the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our, our elders, our teachers, and those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us, our employers and employees. May they all rejoice in the maze that we have all acquired today, and may by the power of these maids they be freed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May by the power of these maids they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who fulfill and protect the Sambuddhasasana. Let us also transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And by the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who have predeceased us. Those who have passed away in our name, our ancestors, our loved ones, may they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, members of the police force as well as members of the armed forces. Let us also transfer these merits to those who lost their lives in the wars, be they friend or foe. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who might have lost their lives in natural calamities and natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, blizzards, pandemics and so on. 
reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of samsara, they will all have helped us, supported us, and assisted us in any way, shape, or form possible and available to them. They will have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters to us, sons and daughters to us, those who will have loved us, taken care of us. May they all rejoice in the merits that we have all acquired today, and by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, by the power of these maids, may you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahatan Vahanse, or an Arahatan Vahanse in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. Raga Nibbana param sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Nibbana param sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Mamada siyalu loka siyalu satnvayo Nibbana param sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Nibbana param sukhayan sukhita taravetnva Nibbana param sukhayan Sukita Tarvetnva Raga Ginini Veva Desha Ginini Veva Moha Ginini Veva Nivan Sapalabeva Nivan Sapalabeva Nivan Sapalabeva Tunruangi Susyananta Mahaguna Belin Silo Loka Silo Satyom Nibbana Paramasukin Sukhita Tarvetva Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu